Good morning and welcome to Stories in Public Health. I'm your host, Emily Dieter, and today I'm once again at the Australian National University in Canberra, um, and I'm very lucky to have Dr Rod Lamberts joining me, who's the Deputy Director of the Australian National Centre for the Public Awareness of Science um, at ANU, and he's also a fellow podcaster. He has a podcast called The Wholesome Show, um, which is very popular. It made the list of 50 um, most popular podcasts on iTunes last year, is that right? Yes. In Australia? It is right, yes. Uh, yes. So thank you very much for joining us today, Rod. Pleasure. I'm, I'm glad to be here in <laughs> our funny little pod studio. It's lovely here. Um, I've never had a pod studio before. It's usually random rooms. To be fair, this was. <laughs> less random now because it has some felt. Actually, yeah, I do like the felt. Hmm. Um, so I thought maybe we could start by you giving us a bit of an overview of the kind of work you do here at the centre. The, the work the centre does? Yes. And then we'll dive yeah, down into yeah. you a little bit later. But we do a lot. Um, it's it's always hard. I've been I've been here for twenty years, in one guise or another. And when someone says, "So what do you do?" I go, oh, I, I, I <laughs> stumble over it." So we, and we, your ex- expertise is in science communication, expert, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I speak for a living. You can tell by the way I bungle my words. It's um, the the way we started was doing the science circus stuff. So performance, we as in the centre, not me personally. So the thing that people have most often heard of is the science circus, which comes out of Questacon, Science Technology Centre here. And it's basically we take a bunch of um, high achieving honours level science students. They compete for places. They go on the road. They wander up and around the country, usually sometimes internationally. And they go, look, kids, science is awesome. Boom, boom, we plus other stuff behind it. Um, so that's the thing we started with. So the centre is unusual. It started from this sort of graduate certificate program originally and then went up to PhDs and then we went down to undergrads. But we do things like, we talk about um, science in context, social context, economic context, political context. So we deal with policy, we deal with, um, I do, do, do a lot with risk communication. Um, I'm very interested in the notion of public intellectuals, linking that to, to um, more amusing and unusual ways of interacting with people which is what our podcast does. We do research on all number of things. It could be science in fiction. It could be science to do with um, well, attitudes to science. I do some large-scale national surveys of stuff, which make for good media releases and other things. But, you know, there's, so there's that. What else is there? do a lot of workshops for scientists about how to improve their ability to present, to, to write more clearly for general audiences, things like that. A lot of us do regular radio slots particularly the ABC network in different places. Um, there's probably more. I'm sure I'm leaving someone out. There are some good resources there. on your website. Also. We've, got a few <laughs> things, yeah, yeah. We've got a few things. We've been doing it a while. And uh, maybe what's something specifically you're working on at the moment um, in Me terms right of your now? research? I should know this. You I'm just take finished. a few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> nothing, nothing <laughs> what did I do this podcast. morning? Well, the best thing is dead air, isn't it? If we yeah, absolutely. Quiet, um, at the moment, I'm finalising the report on, a, on the second national survey of public attitudes and beliefs about science, and that will hopefully, that's funded by the Department of, I always get it the wrong way around, Innovation Industry, Industry and Innovation in Science, D-I-I-S. Right. Um, I did one last year, so I'm finalising the details this year, then we'll get it looking all shiny and release in June. Are you allowed to say any findings yet? Uh, I'll wait. Right. I'll wait. I'll be an academic for a grand okay. moment. But I, I, I should wait because the, the government paid, I did the work, and we just got to polish off the edges. I want to make sure they're happy. Excellent. Yeah. We'll wait for that to come out. So how did you first get interested in science communication? Obviously, it's a huge passion of mine. I think it's important. Yeah. How, how did you first come to the space? Yeah, uh, Interesting. I think, of course, it's interesting. I'm talking about <laughs> me. Uh, I, um, years ago, I was really obsessed with things like, uh, there was a magazine called Omni Magazine, which was the sort of hippie version of New Scientist back when I was a teenager. 
and things like this. And I thought those were fascinating. I've always been a sci-fi you know, geek. And I thought, wouldn't it be great if you could just sort of write about this sort of stuff and be involved with it without having to be in the lab and do the science? And that kind of disappeared. I went and did a bunch of psych, a bunch of anthropology, a bunch of corporate training, comms stuff, blah, blah, blah. And then I was reading the Canberra Times. I was thinking I'd go and do a PhD in medical anthropology in Canada. I was convinced that's what I was going to do. Reading the Canberra Times, I saw an article written by a master's student from this place called the Centre for Public Awareness of Science at this university. And I'd never heard of it before. I thought, that's a bit funny. I'll, I'll check that out. And I rang the switchboard and they couldn't put me through because they didn't know what it was either. And I finally <laughs> found the people, came and had a chat with the former director. They said, sure, you can do a PhD with us. And then I never left. That was 98, I think. It's a sign of a good workplace. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, now that I'm second in charge, beautiful. <laughs> yeah, so I found it by accident. Um, I found the centre by accident. And the science communication thing, sort of, what it means is really quite broad. So, you know, there'd be people at one extreme edge of psychom and then and, and someone at the other extreme edge and, and they wouldn't know or they wouldn't recognise almost what the other person is doing. You know, people at either end might be doing dramatically different things. So I said earlier, I don't do the, look, kids, science goes boom. That's just not my thing. Mm-hmm. There's a... There's a, a area for that and people who write into that you couldn't you couldn't enthuse me less about dealing with children personally I just don't care kids are fine I don't want to see them damaged but I'm just not interested in that work playing with adults though is much more fun for me picking on scientists as well as publics and politicians so a lot of what I do would be telling scientists to be uh, aware that there are things beyond their work try and help them out and I do think your podcast does that well like you really make science accessible to a general audience from my perspective we, well thanks we try look also I mean Will and I have this ongoing battle I'm like the this would be an old reference for, for your older listeners <laughs> Ozzy Osbourne in Black Sabbath would always carry on we're not heavy metal we're not heavy metal even though everyone calls him heavy metal I keep saying we're not a science podcast and Will smiles we often feature it, it's true, but it's not the only thing we'll do. We'll talk to experts in anything given half a chance, we're not worried, but we definitely, I'm going to go 80, 83.2% science content. Yeah, I would suggest the same. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so why do you think science communication is so important? Look, I think hmm, many number of things, I've got an evolving view on this. Um, I've always thought, being involved in this work, that science communication is like the gateway drug for more communication about research and and technical matters in general. So I think science is important, but I'm not an evangelist. I recognize its flaws as well. Obviously, it contributes to medicine, it contributes to technology, it contributes to the economy and all those big ticket items in politics. I don't believe that everyone needs to be super science literate. I don't think that's reasonable. It's And the story I tell there is when people try to convince me I should care about AFL, I just don't. I don't care about AFL at all. I'm a rugby guy, and when people tell me how important AFL is, it's a national sport, I just get more and more shush. I like AFL. Yeah, a lot of people <laughs> do, and you know, good for you. I don't get it. I don't care. I understand the rules, I just don't understand. But the point is the same thing when I have science uh, colleagues and friends who say, science is so important, everyone should understand it. And I'm thinking, oh, fine. It's the same as if I said to them, like, you're an AFL fan, you probably don't like rugby much. I don't. Let me tell you how important rugby is. <laughs> it's our national, you know, like, uh, there's just no point. And so I think there's a line that needs to be drawn there. So, um, but I think it's, as I say, a gateway drug to, to talking about economics, humanities stuff. My background is a lot, at least 50-50 humanities and social science as well as my hard science is psychology. So some say that's real and some say otherwise. I think it's real. Good. Yeah, <laughs> So then I just rambled off and forgot the beginning of the question. Why do I think it's important? Ah, I think it's important because it does affect a lot of walks of life, but it's also good practice. So scientists who try and be better psychom people do better work. 
as a rule, and I think that's useful. And they're more aware of the context, the social context in which their stuff works, and that's critical. Yeah, I agree. And you could, this being public health po- uh, podcast couldn't be more relevant. So I think that's important too. I don't think every scientist should be running around talking to the public. I think some absolutely should not, either because they don't really want to, leave them alone, or they just shouldn't because they're terrible at it. And, you know, some people are better at it than others. Yeah, I think we've touched on a lot already, though, is sticking with your strengths. Mm. Um, and I think that's a really good point um, that, you know, stop instead of forcing yourself to do things you're not really that interested in, sticking things you're really passionate about and you yeah. might be a little bit good at. Yeah, and it shows, you know, someone who really doesn't want to be there, they don't want to be there. Yeah, that's really true. Leave them alone. You know, we can do the job for them then. But can you tell, um, do I want to be here? You look so happy to be here. <laughs> Positively so, good. <laughs> so do you have any tips for, I think, people that do have an interest, mm. um, they're in public health, but they don't really know where to start. It's a bit scary. Mm. Any sort of tips for people that might not know where to even begin? Uh, look, self-servingly, I'd say try and do even a short course in... Um, in this is a word that people get mad at me for simplifying the way you express your ideas so there are short courses in science communication in particular but you could also if you're so moved do um, a little bit on public speaking Um, try writing something for for venues that aren't too threatening so uh, local um, newspapers magazines and so forth write something on your work Mm -hmm. and send it to editors because you know there's a lot of lot of need for content out there Um, try writing a blog if and see I mean, you've got to be prepared for people to bag it or not read it. And, you know, I can't make you not care about that. But the trick I find is the more I do stuff in public, if one of them goes wrong, there's always going to be the next one. Yeah. You know, now and then you're going you're gonna to make a glitch, but too bad. Um, so, yeah, do a short course is really useful, I think. Short, t- short writing, something like that. If you have an academic affiliation, try and write for the, the conversation website. I don't know if you know it. Yeah, I do know the conversation. They're really good because they have professional editors who will work with you to polish up your work and they do not publish until you approve it, which most places would never do. They would just say, great, thanks for that, and then they'll do whatever they want with it. Okay. And also in public health, just for people listening, we have um, the croaky news, which is also um, sort of more conversational writing than academic journals, but it's very public health focused. Um, It's a sweep, isn't it? Yes. Uh, So I'll just give them a plug if people are interested in Mm. writing an article. They should definitely approach croaky. Great idea. Yeah, anything like that. Just, just try it. I mean, you just have to, at some point, you're going to have to give it a go. Excellent. Yeah. And I thought maybe we might touch a bit on some of the challenges. Um, mm. I was even reading a tweet this morning. Someone was saying, does your boss see science communication as part of your job or is it something you have to do as extra? Mm. So sometimes that could be a challenge. What are some of the things that you see as barriers for people in research um, in terms of communication? Look, that definitely was a big barrier. It was just seen as frivolous or unnecessary. Um, but there are different kinds of barriers. There's also the idea that, and we, we face this regularly, not not as much as we used to, but people who are very good at their, whatever their science is, believe they know everything about communicating it because they get published in journals. You know, I have a nature paper, you know, therefore I know how to communicate my science. It's like, yes, you do, to other scientists with expertise in your realm. So one of the barriers is people not appreciating it's a, a skill set and expertise in its own right. Um, I think the landscape's changing dramatically in terms of it being part of a scientist's job or at least being allowed to be incorporated. Because I've seen it, 20 years in this industry or this field is, is long, it's a short, it's a small. What's it? Recent, there's the word on <laughs> Recent industry, so and a recent field of study specifically. And I've seen a lot of change in that time in terms of how it's received by funding agencies, by governments, by uh, institutions like universities. So the barriers are there, but I think it's getting easier and easier to show why it works. You know, if you tweet your research, you tweet it, even tweet your formal paper, more people are going to see it than if you 
just let it sit in the journal and languish and there's evidence on that i've seen of course i can't remember the name of the paper now but people are looking at these alternative metrics and so forth so it doesn't give long-term referencing impact though i read that paper (laughs) so the initial impact is better but long-term referencing it doesn't help so much (laughs) but no i mean so the there are there are increasingly metrics and, and and evidence that it is part it augments the suite of things that gets your research out there. Do you think the whole altmetrics um, that is now coming aboard, so if you're, yeah. um, for people that don't know, um, altmetrics sort of measures um, your different aspects of your research and the exposure it's had on things like Twitter. Um, do you think that's going to come more into the formal mm. research at some point? I or think it already is. In it's, terms of grants and things? Um, yeah, grants may be a little slower to get on board, and I understand why. There's a lot of you know cultural inertia behind them. And of course, people stick with things they can measure, even if those measurements aren't necessarily that good. At least they exist. We love that. We love an existing metric more than anything else. But I think it's already shifting. Um, And I've seen in my own university, I've seen it represented around the country, at least, that there is more awareness of that. I mean, I've I've had senior colleagues who've been very uh, scathing even of writing pieces in the conversation website. And they thought it was funny. Will and I, my co-host on the Wholesome Show, have the highest number of reads for our university. We have the biggest articles. Sounds like a euphemism, but it isn't. <laughs> we have the biggest articles at our university. And um, one of our senior colleagues, not in the centre, in the university, thought it was all very, whatever, it's just frivolous. They then wrote a piece and got, I think, one you know, 50th of the readership. And suddenly they had a different view because they tested it. Yeah. Um, not because they're bad at it. They just didn't have the the wherewithal with their piece to get it out there. So that, that changed their attitude very quickly. So I think that it continues. Excellent. Yeah, I certainly hope mm. it does. Um, I think the whole social media aspect yeah. of communication is, it still scares me because I don't completely understand it, but I think it's really interesting. Just dive in. Yeah, I was going to say, in. so for someone who's very active on Twitter, any uh, social media tips? Dive in. Dive uh, in. Look, look <laughs> I reckon I'm, I'm free to do, comparatively speaking, whatever I want in a professional or... I was going to say unprofessional, <laughs> professional or personal guys. I don't delineate between, you know, opinions of my employers or whatever. I, I speak my mind in social media. Um, look, I think the main thing for me is as long as you can back it up. If you're going to cast a strong opinion, I'm a, I'm a swear bear. I haven't done it today, but, you know, I, I use swear language. For, <laughs> well, I use it in my normal language. I use it in my normal life, and most or many adults do. So I use that in social media. Um, not to deliberately shock I think you should, you've got to be authentic. That's one of the main ones. Be you on social media because it stands out like things that stand out clearly if you don't. So authenticity is important. Only say things you're prepared to stand behind, I think, as well. Because, yes, sometimes you'll be piled on. But I've had some really outrageous and amazing comments in um, to some of the pieces I've written. I've been called a Nazi. I've been Really? Oh, yeah, it's great. I wrote a piece on climate that... Got me damned by Christopher Monkton, the goggly-eyed alleged lord in, in the UK, and Andrew Bolt's blog referred to me as a Nazi because I said how we should change our attitude to climate communication. Strong language. Yeah, it's fantastic. <laughs> fantastic. I just, that was a badge of honour for me. It was like, if you folk don't like me, then um, I'm doing something right. That's a good but, way to look at it. Yeah. Really it's an adversarial model, but yeah, it doesn't work for everyone. Yeah, but I probably yeah, need to build in, some resilience. And if you muck up, look, don't worry about it, because someone else is going to muck up straight after you worse. But if you feel like you might be a little sensitive, be aware that people will people have a go, yeah? Yeah, so be aware of it. Mm. Uh, that's what I tell students too, like write your opinion pieces, do your thing, but if you feel like you're going to take it really badly, and it's understandable that you might, then consider carefully. Yeah, okay. I think that's good advice. It's something I need to consider, because I'm probably not as... 
probably wouldn't take stuff like that quite as um, well as you. <laughs> Depends how often it happens. You get true. you get a new to anything after a while. That's really go, true. Oh, yeah. I'm getting less and less scared of doing interviews like this. So maybe anything over time you get a bit. This is a scary interview. Just interviews in general. Oh, I was going to yeah. say. <laughs> sorry for being scared. No, no, this is awesome. Yeah. You're really cash. Uh, so now we might touch on your podcast. Mm. So it's called The Wholesome Show. God, it's good. <laughs> maybe you could tell people what it's about. It's it, not a science podcast. Eighty-three. What is it? Eighty-two point three percent. It's um. What do we what do we call it? the the subheading is a beer with someone interesting, which incorporates the two things we like the most, which is in being interested in having beers. So we basically find an interesting human, usually uh, academic but not always, usually science related but not always, and we take them down to the boutique pub on campus here, and we have a chat with them for about half an hour about what they do, why they do it. We talk normally. Yes, there's 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 potty words. It has an E rating on iTunes, so be you know if you listen to it with your kids in the car, they might learn some language. Um, it's not like we're sailors on shore leave, but you know, it's it's supposed to be a real chat. So what we do is basically mimic having a chat in a pub, and we stand in. I call us the proxy morons because we just sit in for the people. We ask the dumb questions. And have a chat. So that's, that's what, what you need, doing. though. Yeah. You need people to ask the questions that people wouldn't understand. So I think yeah. that's great. And we slow people down and you're like, wait, wait, I don't know what you're talking about. And it takes someone confident to be dumb. And we're very confident in being dumb. <laughs> so we just, just probe that. And we're starting to explore a format, uh, a parallel format, where we take some interesting and or bizarre stories, usually against science, but not always. And uh, one of us doesn't know the story and the other one does. And so we try and catch each other out and have a bit of a storytelling giggle time over that. And who have been maybe one or two of your sort of favourite guests? Are you allowed to say that or is that going to annoy people? No, I love them all equally. <laughs> I love all my children and all my dogs. Um, favourite guests? Look, it varies wildly depending on what we're doing. Like we, we had, and not only for this podcast, but our early incarnations. How long we got? Do you want me to, I can tell you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. My favourite one was actually... Well, one that really stood out was in a previous show. We used to have a, a, a live show called Kind of Thinky. We just changed form and you know went more solely into podcasts. And we wanted to talk about this issue of control. We always had a one-word theme for the for each show, and we try and get four guests who had really different perspectives on the issue. And this one was on control. And we wanted to get someone. We heard about a, a job called a prisoner advocate, which we'd never heard of before because uh, we were trying to get a prison guard. They're not allowed to give interviews, it turns out, so we couldn't talk to one at all. They said, you should talk to this prisoner advocate. So it was a, a, a I don't know, she's a middle-aged woman called Cheryl. She's an Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander woman who works as a prisoner advocate, which basically means they, they handle things like when someone gets arrested or, or sentenced, they handle things like who's going to look after their pets, who waters the pot plants, all these really mundane things you don't think of before, Yeah. which is interesting in itself. But when she came on, she was crapping herself. She was so nervous and she said so. That's a good word, right? That's yeah, that's fine. You can bleep that. <laughs> um, she was terribly nervous, really honest about it. She stood outside and had a few ciggies, and then she had a bit of a drink. Well, we all had drinks, so that, that wasn't unusual. And she got up on stage, and she said, oh, I'm really nervous, eh? And we started talking to her, and after a while, she got into the groove, and the place was dead quiet, and she had us eating out of her hand. She just told us these stories. They were, We laughed, we cried, everyone was leaning forward. It was wonderful. And so that was really quite cool. But we've also, like, we interviewed Neil deGrasse Tyson. We interviewed Alan Alder because of different connections and that's kind of amusing to talk to the famous but the the weirdest stories come from everyday people who do unusual jobs head of traffic's traffic operations in the act i love talking to police they're very interesting weird researchers people who make outrageous cakes you name it we'll talk to everyone okay i didn't realize the parts of what i've obviously when i've looked and i've focused on the science ones i didn't realize it was so broad that's great Mm. 
Oh yeah, no. As long as look, as long as it's someone you wouldn't normally like, most people wouldn't meet in normal life, and they have some expertise or unusual specialization. That's really more the the gist of it. Cool. Yeah, that's excellent. Good, yeah. Well, we'll definitely put some links up when the website is up and running. Hopefully soon. I've been saying that for a long time though. Sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> uh, oh, and you've got a new series coming out for the podcast, which is might yeah. be relevant for our listeners. Yeah, not coincidentally, or it is coincidentally. <laughs> we um. A bunch of work being done at our centre was sort of partially related to the TAPC Australian Prevention Partnership Centre. I should know what the C stands for, but I always forget. That's okay. And they just uh, sponsored a couple of studentships for us, so we had a couple of interns who helped. And so we're doing a series called Life in a Herd, and it's basically we interview five larger, more interesting folk from population public health, just to sort of get some the same styles we'd always do. We have a beer with them where possible, have a chat and get different perspectives on population public health science. I have to say science as well for this one. And so that will be there'll be five interviews, so five episodes plus an intro and a closing episode, and they should be dropping tomorrow, which is Wednesday the twenty third. Excellent. We'll definitely tweet about that. Who are mm. some of the guests? Um, Penny Hawke, Professor Penny Hawke, Don Nutbeam. Another professor, or professor. Summer May Finlay, who's doing a PhD in um, focused on Indigenous stuff. She's yeah. a Yorta Yorta woman. Um, Sharon Friel from ANU. She's what is it? Health Equity Professor. That sounds amazing. And who did I, who did I miss out? That you'll have to go and look it up. That's okay. That's we the teaser. That. Who's the fifth? <laughs> well, I think yeah, our listeners will definitely be interested in that. So hopefully, we will get some listeners. Um, from almost that. as good as this podcast. Not almost. Quite, <laughs> Um, and just finally, do you have any sort of advice or general life advice or any big messages you want to get out to the, the world or the small population of listeners for this podcast? Yeah, two things. One, um, context. I always say this to people. I love saying, you know, remember the C word and they all go, oh my God, <laughs> context. Um, the context of your work, my work, your work, public population health, all that sort of stuff is huge. And the other one is don't take it all too seriously because it's not harm my career any such that it is. You know, I'm over 21 now and still alive and paying my mortgage and I actually have quite a bit of fun at the same time. You can do serious work without being serious. So that's to me, that's a strong message because yeah. I see too many people who think to be taken seriously, they've got to be boring and grey and, and you don't. That's great. That's good advice because I don't think I'm particularly serious so hopefully I can still be successful. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be fine. <laughs> One day you can wear a flanny to work like I do. Excellent. Fair, Live the dream. You'll be 100 here. Um, and so the last question I always like to finish with is, do you have a favourite book or movie or something that you've watched or read that's really inspired you or changed the way you've thought about the world? Mm. Look, my change the way I thought about the world, heaps of things, too many. Being an academic, I don't remember the last Nothing's thing. really stood out? The books that I like most, I'm a, I'm a space opera sci-fi hound, so I love anything by Peter F. Hamilton. He writes these sweeping space operas. He builds these amazing worlds around 25th century and then just blows them up. Would people who don't like sci-fi like it? Are they kind of something that might get you into it? Um, or do you have to be pretty, pretty into it? I think they're a bit... Oh, I don't know. I'm too biased. I'm okay. too, too into it. I, I, I doubt it. And if you're going to listen... I, I, I want to promote another podcast because I think it's so good called sure. um, The Dollop. I haven't heard of that one, actually. It's fantastic. It's an American... They call it an American history podcast, which is basically true. But it's... um. Yes, it's just excellent and very amusing. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Listen to the double episode on Donald Trump and you'll learn things about Donald Trump in ways that you never expected to. Uh, do I want to know more about him? <laughs> the good thing is, in, in amongst the tears, you'll be laughing as well. Okay. I try not to read about him because it makes me really depressed. But if it. it makes me laugh, then maybe. <laughs> well, that, that didn't change my life, but they certainly, they're just a nice example of having fun. I mean, again, very much a capital E explicit rating. They, yeah. they use the potty words too, but certainly worth it. Excellent. So the dollop. 
the dog. I think the dog is good. Well, I think that's all we've got time for. Thank you so much for making the time to talk with us today. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, and thank you for listening on Stories in Public Health.